Hey everybody. I think I might be allergic to sermons. I feel like every time I do them I'm sick. I'm sorry. Uh, today I've got the exciting subject. Now let me see if this works first of all. Oh come on. Okay. It's going to be really hard to remember with a foggy brain if I haven't got my slides as well, what I'm supposed to be saying. Uh, This morning I've been given the cheery subject, because we're starting an Easter series, of death. Uh, Which is kind of fitting, because that's pretty much how I feel. Um, Oh, there we go. Uh, So, I'm going to start by breaking that. I'm going to start by reading uh, from Luke 23, uh, and then we're going to crack on. There we go. This is just a small extract from Luke 23, which is one of the accounts of the death of Jesus. Um, I recommend reading the whole thing. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, He breathed his last. Uh, So I just want to start this morning by saying, what a stupid, terrible God that is. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Look at that. It is pathetic. That is not what a God is, right? A God is untouchable. A God is mighty. A God strides around above the earth doing whatever they want, making things happen with a flick of their fingers, in control of absolutely everything. And one thing that definitely, definitely does not happen to a God is that they die. This is a stupid, terrible God. That's not what gods do. Look at him. This God is bruised and beaten and suffocating. It's a ridiculous picture. That's not what gods do. How on earth do you, as a god, get into that sort of situation? You've got the entire power of everything in the universe and beyond at your fingertips. You could just close your hand at any moment, just grasp hold of a tiny fragment of the power that you hold and change this entire situation in an instant. He didn't even need to do that. He didn't even need to use the powers of a god to get out of this excruciating situation. There were so many chances to avoid this. He could have just dialed down his 
uh, angry words about the Pharisees and the rulers, and they probably would have left him alone. There was that moment with Pilate. Pilate seemed like he could have been convinced. He probably, if he just made a convincing case, he could have talked Pilate out of it, but he just sat there and said nothing. Like a lamb before their shearers, he was silent. But even now, in this last minute, if this is a God, this God is dying. This God has become a weak, fragile human and is on the verge of death. And they've still got the power to change it. He just needs to take hold of it. Like Samson, the story of Samson that he read with his parents as a young child growing up. The story of Samson, who he gave this power to, where with his last gasp, he got the power from God one last time. And he closed his hands and he pulled down the pillars on the people who were, uh, who were oppressing and killing him and taking his life. He can still do that. So how do you get into this situation? It's laughable. It's stupid. How does a God get into this mess? It's almost like he chose it. So we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning uh, just dipping our toes into why on earth that might be and how a God gets into this kind of situation. Let's say dipping our toes, maybe more accurately, dipping our fingers um, I'd like you to reach out a hand. I'm going to hope, hope this will help you remember what we worked through this morning. Um, we're going to look at a few different reasons why you might want to close your hand on that power that you have as a God and change this situation and stop this excruciating thing happening to you. So the first way I want you to look at your hand is like the, the way a child closes their hand on the finger of a parent. Do you know that thing? I love it when newborn babies do it. It's total instinct. You just touch in the middle of their palm and their hand instantly closes around it. You know what I'm talking about? So just do that now. Just close your hand around your finger as if it was the finger of your parent, like a baby clings on to their parent. Jesus could have closed his hand and ended this situation and taken hold of the power that would have stopped it like a child with their parent. But Philippians 2, Paul puts it like this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who considered equality with God, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. There's something about Jesus' closeness to the Father that frees him up from needing to grasp on to equality with God. He is so secure in his relationship with, with his Father, in his identity in his Father, that he doesn't need to grasp hold of that power and inflict anything on the people who are crucifying him. He doesn't need to do that to show that he is God. There is a freedom that comes with having nothing to lose because he is so sure of that relationship with his father that he doesn't need to grasp it. Jesus doesn't need to grasp that power. It's more important to him. See, what God does sets the tone for everything else. God, Whatever God does, that is the height 
of goodness. And sure, he could. He could grasp hold of the power of the Father and use it like he did uh, with the flood to just um, eliminate all these people and get himself down off the cross. They're shouting at him to do it. Why don't you save yourself? He could do that in an instant. But he chooses that it is more important because he is free in his relationship with his Father. He doesn't do it. He could close his hand. He could end that situation any time he wanted to. But he chooses to keep his hands open. It's more important to him to show that freedom that he has in the Father. There's no doubt about his relationship. And so he keeps his hand open. He doesn't need to grasp for power. Now I'd like you, if you've got something in your pocket... Um, maybe a a coin or a set of keys, something that is precious to you, Um, grab one of those things. Um, If you don't have anything like that, your imagination will probably do fine as well. Um, But just take something that is precious to you out of your pocket and now put that in your hand. And here's another reason that you might want to close your hand and take hold of that power and stop this terrible thing that is happening to you. You might want to close your hand the way we close our hand to hold on to something that is precious. To keep something safe. To protect it. To protect yourself. Surely yourself is a precious thing. Why wouldn't Jesus close his hand on that power and use it to keep himself safe? Surely that is a precious thing worth holding on to. But as we see over and over again in in the parables in particular, I'm thinking of the thing that is most precious to this God, this crazy, stupid God getting killed, the thing that is most precious to him is endless love and generosity. You see, there's so many parables of people who miss this about the kingdom of God. The parable of the talents comes to mind. The guy uh, who is given some money to look after, and he's so scared that he goes and he buries it in the ground and says, well, at least I kept that safe. I wrapped it up tight. I put it in a little handkerchief. I buried it in the ground, and at least that is safe. And the master comes back and says, You know what sort of person I am. Why did you think I would be satisfied with the cowardice of just keeping something safe and sticking it in the ground? He's a God of abundance. He wants to see open-handed generosity. The other servants are praised because they went out and they did something with what they were given Or like the parable of the great banquet where there's not enough people to fill it up and so he says, go out on the streets and just grab anybody. Just, they don't have to be a certain caliber of guest. I'm not here to preserve the integrity of my dinner party. I just want everybody in. And there's all these parables about not holding on to something, not trying to conserve uh, our own comfort, not being grasping Because God is a generous God. He is not a God of keeping stuff in the ground, as you'll see from the rest of the Easter story. 
And so, sure, he could close his hand on that power and take hold of it and make himself safe and preserve something that is precious to him, his own well-being. But what is more precious to God is that open-handed generosity and grace and mercy. And so he doesn't do that. He doesn't wipe out the Roman army who are crucifying him, the occupying army. He doesn't flood the earth again. He doesn't close the Red Sea over the people. He doesn't take himself down off the cross. He stares death in the face and keeps his hand open. Now I'd like you to clench your fist like you're going to punch someone. (laughs) Think of something that makes you really furious. Jesus gets angry. And surely this is a good reason to be angry. Surely this would be a good reason to close your hand, take hold of that power and change this thing and stop it happening to you. Surely now, how can you not be angry with somebody who's just driven a nail through your wrist and is mocking you while you slowly suffocate? Why would you not clench your hand in anger and smack them down? But we see... One of the ways in which Jesus gets angry is with people's anger. And so often, if you go look at the times he gets angry with the disciples, it's the times where they clench their fist to hold on to something. Whether it's uh, the woman who comes and pours expensive perfume on his feet, and they're all having a nice chin wag, all the guys, they're putting the world to rights, they're talking about how they're going to save the world because they're the chosen disciples. And this hysterical woman comes in and messes with the nice, neat evening conversation that they're having and does this crazy, reckless, wasteful thing of opening up herself and pouring this jar of perfume all over the feet of Jesus. And the disciples think this is terrible. And they want to get control of the situation and let's manage it back down to a nice, safe, sensible discussion like we were having before. And Jesus is furious with them because he says, you're trying to cling on to some kind of power for yourself. And you're missing that this woman is doing a beautiful thing because she's displaying that uh, reckless generosity. She's got nothing to lose. The same way that Jesus knows he's got nothing to lose because he's so close with his father. She's got nothing to lose so she can give the whole of herself. And she makes this crazy act of love and worship just like somebody in one of those parables might have done. But so many other times as well, when they're on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter sees this kind of incredible spiritual moment happening and he says, let's set up tents here, let's stay here, this is the good place to be, I want to just hang out here and have a nice time. Jesus gets furious with him because he's trying to cling on to something, he's trying to keep hold, he thinks he's got something to lose, he doesn't want to lose that moment, he tries to hold on to it. And Jesus says that is not what we're here to do. Uh, or 
at the time when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because he's trying to be stopped from going to be crucified. They're trying to cling on to their friend. They don't want him to go and die. And Jesus again says, you're trying to cling on. You're trying to close your hand and keep hold of something that is supposed to be given up. Or maybe the most striking example for Jesus in that moment, even just uh, hours earlier when he was, uh, when, when they came to arrest him uh, and the disciples grabbed for their swords. And that's always where this clinging on to control ends up and that's why Jesus doesn't want to see it. They grasp the handles of their weapons and they cut off somebody's ear and it starts descending into violence. These are all the times that Jesus gets angry with the disciples. It's when they're trying to cling on to something, when he says they should be giving it up. And so sure, he could take control, he could summon that power, he could close his hand in anger and end this situation. But it's more important to him to show endless grace and mercy. So he keeps his hand open. So now lastly, um, I want you to, this is hard to do with a handheld mic, I want you to take one hand and grab the wrist of the other with it. And just press with your thumb into that bit just below your palm in your wrist. And this is how you might close your hand as a crucified God. As you think about the blunt, heavy end of the iron peg that is about to go through your, this point of your wrist here to keep you suspended so that you slowly suffocate and die outside the city like a criminal. Of course you want to close your hand. You can feel it as you press there. You want to bring your hand down. Of course everything in you wants to clench that hand in anger. As they drive the nail in, of course your head floods with fury and you go back to the story of Samson that you got told as a child and of course you want to pull the building down. And your head floods with those temptations that you had in the desert and you were so right, it would have been so easy, just a small step and you could make yourself okay. Or you need a tiny fragment of your power and you can have food, you can have possessions, you can have safety, you can have comfort. This doesn't need to be happening. Just close your hand and take it. But it's more important to him to show the endless grace and mercy and forgiveness and not inflict that on us as people and to show us a totally different system of power that is not about taking for ourselves but is about giving and giving and giving right to the very end of ourselves because we know we've got nothing to lose. And so he keeps his hand open. And the day wears on. And now you've been up there for hours and you're struggling for breath, and you know that your life is coming to an end, which is ludicrous because you're a god. And it turns into this slow, dull pain, and you look around at the people that are inflicting this on you, and you're so sad. You, out of love, made these people. You, out of love, 
gave them the freedom to make their own choices, and this is what they've done with it. They've built an army, they've invaded, and now they've taken and executed you. Of course, you want to close your hand to preserve what is precious to you. But he doesn't do it. Just like how he was offered the comfort of making his situation less painful and he spurned the sponge. He doesn't want the comfort. He wants to keep his hands open. Now, he's looking at these people and so so hurt by what they've become and what they've done. Of course, you want to do a Noah all over again and let's just flood this and clear it all out. What have these people become? But it's more important to him to show the grace and mercy. And so he doesn't do that. And instead, he says, Father, forgive them. And he keeps his hand open. And then it gets to the three in the afternoon. And now, the last of those things, the final um, shame, the final desperate moment. Like the child holding on to the finger of the parent, Jesus starts to feel the father slip away. My God. My God, why have you forsaken me? Of course you want to close your hand there. Now is the time to grasp that relationship with God. How could you not? How could you not? You can feel it going. This is your last chance to grasp it back. But it's more important to him to face down death, to open up the possibility of taking away that final fear, to demonstrate that he really is one with the Father because even in that last desperate moment as he feels him slipping away, he is still so sure that his equality with God is not something to be grasped. And so he keeps his hand open And then the sky turns black. And then he dies. God dies. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. God is dead. But he's got his hand still open. And you'll see in the coming weeks where the story goes from there. But we just ask this question again. How do you get to this situation? How do you get to such an insane situation? Sure, Jesus' hands are open, but he's dead on a cross. How can that be? Why would that be the choice? And I just want to suggest it's because that is more important to Jesus than any of those other considerations. All those things that were calling on him to close his hand, to take control, to change the situation, to grasp, to grab, to inflict his power on the people around him and to grab onto it for himself. 
despite all those reasons why you would want to do it, it's more important to fight for that kingdom that is built on the endless love and generosity and grace and mercy that keeps his hands open. And he's not afraid to go to the very end of himself because he's so sure of his relationship with his father. He's so sure that he's got nothing to lose, that he wants to make a world that is not about who can grab the most for themselves, that is not about who can inflict the most power on other people, but is about self-sacrifice, that is about complete love for other people that nothing can threaten. And he's so determined that he will go through death to take it away so that we don't have to have the fear of death anymore because that makes us grasp things. When we fear for our lives, for ourselves, when we think we've got something to cling on to, that makes us grasp. He wants an open-handed kingdom. And when we think we've got something to lose, that makes us grasp, but his death and resurrection shows us the beyond doubt that certainty we can have in the relationship with the Father. So we've got nothing to lose, so we don't need to grasp. We don't need to cling on to control and comfort. We don't need to put our own self-preservation ahead of anything. We've got the freedom to love right to the very end of ourselves. And so I just want to close with a kind of challenge there, really, about whether we're in for that. Because I think sometimes we don't always have an accurate picture of what the promise and the hope of Jesus is. Sometimes we think it might be a hammock on a beach uh, that makes it all worth it. That it was okay to have had a hard time because one day we'll get to just bliss out forever. But actually that is not the promise and the hope of Jesus. Hebrews puts it as, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And the joy set before him was not an eternity sat in a hammock on a nice beach. The joy set before him was the, the ushering in of a new kingdom based on completely selfless love, based on perfect love that drives out any fear, based on taking away the final fear that none of us can confront on our own of dying by taking away all the things that have power to make us grasp onto our own control and to build a kingdom where we can fully be given in love for God and our neighbor. And that's the promise. And that promise isn't necessarily a comfortable or uh, an uplifting one. It can feel hard. Reproducing the life of Jesus means picking up a cross. And so this is always a really tough thing because it's so variable depending on where we are at any one time, how we receive this stuff. I just want to say two quick things. One is a warning to the comfortable. And in a lot of ways, I am comfortable, and so this warning is for me. We have got to watch out 
for that closed fist of clinging on to comfort. It's so easy to do. We've got things nice and neatly set up. And we want to hold on to those things that feel good. And we end up grasping and taking control and, and using our power to look after ourselves. Like the guy in the parable of the talents who puts it in the ground. And that is not the character of the kingdom of God. The character of the kingdom of God is an open hand, no matter the cost. And so we've got to watch out for the closed fist that happens when we cling on to our own comfort sometimes. But on the other hand, we can look out for the open hands. And these so often, this is why Jesus says it's so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Because when you're rich, you're going to grasp, of course you are, you want to keep hold of everything you've got. And it's so hard to get the character of the kingdom of heaven when you're grasping like that. But the broken-hearted the beatitude people, the poor in spirit, the ones with nothing left to lose, are so often where we find the open hands. Because they've got nothing left to grasp onto. And there is a real power in those things. Like the woman who poured the perfume on Jesus' feet. And I think sometimes people with nothing left to lose, who have that reckless, open-handed, crazy generosity of the kingdom of God, scare us. It can look a bit frightening when somebody is in that situation because like the disciples at the dinner, it's not nice and neat and tidy and managed. But management is a closed fist of control and comfort. And the kingdom of God is an open hand of reckless abandon and selfless love. And you so often see it in the people who are on the outside and the overlooked and the struggling and those with nothing to lose. So watch out for closed fists of comfort, but look out for open hands of the broken hide. I'm just going to finish with that bit I read earlier from Philippians 2 as a prayer, because this really is my prayer. This says it all for me. Um, Paul writes to this church and says, this is what your attitude should be. This is how to live in the kingdom of the open-handed God. So I'm going to pray it for us. Lord God, please help us to more and more have the mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we are so grateful that the crazy, stupid, broken God of Jesus is Lord. We know that your kingdom sat on the throne, there is a lamb looking like it was slain. Father God, help us 
understand what it looks like to live in that kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.